Welcome to Let Me Tell You Something's latest episode of its year-long project, The Meltzer Five Star Experience. As myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, have been watching every match that we can that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher to see if we agree with the preeminent journalist of wrestling, type of wrestling today, and also t- many, many strange people on Twitter's favourite person to troll. <laughs> uh, but we're not trolling. We're doing this independent of Mr. Meltzer. But we are reassessing, we're reevaluating, and we're rediscovering in some instances or discovering for the first time key figures, key uh, matches, key events in the history of wrestling since Mr. Meltzer started rating matches back in the mid 1980s. Uh, I'm with Lorca Mullen with my co host Simon Cross. And Simon, this is a big one that we're covering it's only the third match that dave Meltzer rated five stars to have come from the biggest wrestling promotion of this period of time the world wrestling federation yeah it's the second one to come from a wrestlemania event it's the second one to involve bret hart it's also the second match to involve steve austin but the previous one that we did was in wcw where he was in his stunning steve austin um, guys, Phase. and was yeah. part of a 10-man War Games match. This one, it's another bloody brutal affair for Steve Austin, but it's a very much a solo coming out party, as it were. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about, Simon? We're talking about the famous submission-only match at WrestleMania 13 between Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin with special guest referee Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock and a referee shirt that he seems to have bought from a tiny baby zebra collection. (laughs) He's poured into that and the shorts. He's got that classic bodybuilder's walk where their arms and back are so big that Mm. their arms now have to walk at like an angle. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like he, almost like he has to waddle in a weird. His arms have to waddle. Yeah, he is stacked. He is utterly stacked. For it this. does also. I've been watching documentaries recently, mini documentaries about the UFC, uh, especially covering a lot of the early days. And uh, the state athletic commissions were not testing for many things at that point. <laughs> the physiques are not as recognizable to what they are today. Let's put it yeah. that way. No, they're, they're from a different planet in terms of what they're looking like. Mm. So this is maybe the most important wrestling match of the modern era. Of the, of the you know, if we define the modern era as from like 90, the past 25 years. Yeah. That this was the match that many say was the one that made Steve Austin a main eventer. Mm. It was the match where Bret Hart turned heel, uh, at least to American audiences. And the anti-hero was created, thus building off of that the Attitude Era. And one thing that was interesting to do before uh, the match was Mm. I watched the opening video package for uh, the show. 
Oh, I did that, yes, as well. And I watched the pre-match package, too. Yes, because uh, I wanted to sort of understand what, what was the WWF looking like before this, as this came in, and, and to the version of what we would see by, like, WrestleMania 14, and then subsequent to that, when the Attitude Era is really the biggest thing on TV. Um, and so you've got, like, they're starting to say that this is about... This is a, a WrestleMania defined more by hatred than it is by spectacle or grandeur yes that this is that things are taking a violent turn and the show was uh subtitled heat uh with obvious connotations within the wrestling circles outside of the wrestling circles mm. as well and like straight after this match they had another chaotic brawl with the uh nation of domination taking on armor johnson legion of doom it's really kind of strange that they would follow one up directly with the other it's a sign of the influence of like ecw now coming seeping into the culture yeah um but also it's just a sign of how the wf is obviously starting to f- they, they wanted to move down an edgier approach i think for quite a while but they had certain limitations put on them yeah but I, you know, you want to talk about where we were culturally. I, I make a whole thing about this in the wrestling, uh, in my I show, uh, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan, that then became the book that I occasionally plug on this. And was really the the what sparked off our friendship as far as on a, on a mutual wrestling fan basis. I think we've talked about this before, haven't we, on the the podcast? How we became uh, friends. I think we've yeah. talked about this, haven't we? So you can go back to that. I think it's in one of the debriefs, maybe. Um, and what we're to- what it's just it's it's culturally we were in a strange place in the late nineties. Like the 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 other big events were things like the Jerry Springer show, South yes. Park. The president was getting involved in multiple sex scandals. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, society was turning raunchier. You had the screen oh, yeah. franchise, you know. So M- MTV was growing as like a brand well, as it was, well. It was kind of splitting off into all different. It's starting to split off into all different sort of directions. But yeah, it was also. Yeah, I just there was still the puritanical streak in it, but there was a lot of rebellion. I guess I think it was maybe. I don't know, maybe it was like the, the Generation X people starting to become in control of things and mm. Gen X had always been a little bit more cynical as they'd grown up and under their baby boomer parents and now they were getting to be in charge. They wanted to celebrate rebellion. And shake off sort of the bright, neony, garish colours of the 80s. Because well, if you just look at bright, neony colours, we've got a man in black who acts as a villain being cheered over a man in bright pink yeah. who is supposed to be the hero. Mm. And really, like, from the entrances, uh, you can just tell that culture is changing well, and this the is the embodiment of it. Yeah, it's the story that they're telling in, in commentary as well, that it's uh, a reaction that's mixed and it, and it has been... And, and I think what it is also is that Stone Cold Steve Austin is so much about a wish fulfillment. Um, and that was one of the things I posited in um, in my show. That, that Stone Cold Steve Austin is what like every working man wants to see when they look at themselves in the mirror. Yeah. Uh, whereas what many of them look at themselves in the mirror and see is Mick Foley. 
which is yeah. why Mick Foley was a wonderful sort of counterweight to Steve Austin during that whole Attitude Era. Um, the guy just tried to get on with it as best as he could. But yeah, I guess it was just... I think it's also because... This is another thing that I always said, that one of the reasons that everyone... So many people like my generation online moan about the WWE and they would, go, they would always boo John Cena is that it was for the first time a wrestling... The WWE was not catering specifically to them. Yeah. Like, when I was 14, 13, 14, suddenly getting into girls and, and starting to listen to some loud music, not all loud music, but definitely uh, enjoying the, the at least the notion of rebellion, if not necessarily being that rebellious myself. Mm. Loving South Park, loving the smart aleck nature of The Simpsons. Um, that sort of cynicism, nothing really matters anymore attitude that that now is a, a sort of a, a counterweight to what so much of the culture is now. Which I guess is a reaction to that, just as this was the reaction to the previous generation. Things are cyclical. Well, yeah. things change and grow. And I don't even know if it's cyclical. Things are reactionary. Things are constantly in reaction to what it was. Mm. Um, okay, yeah, maybe like, that's you, more of a fair assessment. If you look at where they were in 93, the, the first... The, what was wonderful about the Steve Austin Bret Hart feud, and really every Steve Austin feud, is that Steve Austin makes the hatred seem so personal. Mm. Like he is defined by wanting to beat Bret Hart. That it was ultimately just him calling out Bret Hart a few times, trying to make a name off of him. Yeah. And then he lost the match of the Survivor Series that he really had dominated, but Bret Hart had found a way to get the win through, like, in-ring intelligence. And that that gnawed at Steve Austin and he couldn't let it go, so he kept bothering Bret Hart. It wasn't just a one-off match for him. He needed to beat Bret. And he needed to just, like... And he was this manly man that was saying, what is with wearing pink and black? Like, he had to almost motivate himself to hate Bret Hart. Yeah. And now... Talk about how he's done his, like, whine and complain. Well, that's what comes afterwards. So the story of Brett really from Survivor Series onwards is that he's still haunted by his loss to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12. And yeah. that it wasn't an entirely fair loss because Shawn Michael he had Shawn Michaels in the sharpshooter, the time limit expired, and then afterwards they decided to go into sudden death overtime. Well, if they decided if he didn't know those were the rules going in, then surely yeah. he would have just held on to the sharpshooter and either Shawn Michaels would have had to give up or would have passed out. Yeah. Which plays into the finish in this match, of course. And so it's always been that sense that Brett never thought that he was rightly beaten for the belt. And then when he comes back and he faces Psycho Sid, he then collides with Shawn Michaels and that causes him to lose to Sid in his title match. Then he does the 97 Royal Rumble. And Stone Cold Steve Austin is eliminated by Bret Hart, fair and square. But the refs don't see it because they're too busy trying to break up Mick Foley and Terry Funk on the other side of the ring. So Austin's able to sneak in and beat Brett. And, uh, throw Brett out and throw the Undertaker and Vader out. So he wins it. So Brett gets screwed again. The thing about it, what I love about this story is that Brett is right in every single thing he says. It's just to the crowd, the way that he says it or the way that the commentators perceive his complaints to be. Yeah are what makes him the villain. But in Brett's mind, he's not wrong. Yeah. You know, it's that, and that's classic, where the... it's that classic, a bad guy should always feel that they're right. Yes. 
And that is where the best, you're right, that is where the best heel work comes from. And actually, well, the best heel work comes from where not only do they feel they're right, but they actually are. It's just they present it in such a way where you do hate it. Um, Tommaso Ciampa springs to mind as like a good recent example mm. in some of the work in the Gagano feud. Uh, some of his promos there were beautiful. But you like when he put his point across, it's like, well, yes, yeah. But but the sense is that Austin is true to himself, that he kind of sees the world for what it is, which is screwed up and you can't trust anyone. And ev- everyone's out to get you anyway. Everyone's out to screw you, so you might as well try and screw them first. That's why he'll always hit someone with a Stone Cold Stunner, yeah. which is such a non-babyface thing to do. But it's because he figures at some point you're going to screw me over, so I'm going to get you first. Like, he yeah. was the aggressor in the feud with Vince McMahon at the start, because he knew what Vince would do. Yeah, well, Vince had previous at yeah. that point, yeah. so it made sense. Although he, like... didn't, he didn't when Austin first hit him with the stunner. It, that was September of 97, so that was before Montreal. Mm. What's so crazy about this is that not only are you getting a great story told within the fictional world of wrestling... But there are moments in this match that allude to the real-life stories that happen afterwards. Yeah. There's a key moment when Austin has Brett in the... He tries to put Austin... He tries to put Brett in the sharpshooter. Yeah. And Brett stops it, not by reversing the hold like he'd done with Owen using his tactical ability, but by just raking the eyes. So, yeah. again, like, because Brett's having to fight dirty. Mm. But on the flip side, if you go down the Brett is always right mantra, he is... He's been clearly briefed on the rules and is acting within the confines of the yeah, rules. Yeah. So it's fine. But, Je- but just, In his mind. Just to get to my point, though. Yeah. Jerry Lawler says in that moment, imagine having to lose to the sharpshooter. Ah, uh, yes, I did and pick up on Vince that. Vince says, hey, it could happen. I mean, that's just crazy. Knowing what we know now. And it's mm. one of those things that makes you, you, you almost give a bit of sucker to the idea that the, the Montreal screw job was a work. To this day, you can. There are people that will argue that, and to this ah, day, yes. I will say there are things in it that are a lot more compelling than any flat earthers have been able to get. Maybe, <laughs> but I still think it was real because you know, as real as you know. Look, I you know, I, I thought of us doing an episode where we just talked about the Montreal screw job, but how it's the stupidest thing to happen in wrestling, let alone the biggest thing to happen in wrestling. Yeah, well, yeah. But what? But yeah. But let's talk about this match because it's not. It's because Bret Hart goes in with cheers. Bret Hart goes in with being high. He high fived fans coming going out. Yeah, well, and, I actually know. Yeah, yeah. Well, coming out to the ring, yeah, he high fives fans. Yeah. yeah. Well, he high fives some on the way back. You, you'll also if you rewatch it. A lot more aggressively though. Yes. I think he's just slapping hands out of the way more than anything else. No, 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 no. Because that's the whole thing. Bret Hart has his allies. That there are people to whom, like me, Bret Hart remained a babyface throughout. 97 and onwards you know mm. um but it, it's they both have babyface spots and they both have heel spots in this match yeah and that's what's so intriguing especially within the confines of when there are no rules to wrestling there are no there's no disqualifications or anything yeah but there is no cheating because there are no rules to cheat mm but also, you're starting to see the prototype of the formula for for Wrestle for for WWF main events for like the rest of the Austin era, specifically when they go fighting in the crowd. Yeah. But I also noticed that security's atrocious. 
Yeah. Well, security is Ken Shamrock at one point. It yeah, is literally he's Ken Shamrock. Out of the way, and the fans are all again all, automatically. You're not see. It's not little kids in the crowd anymore with their parents. It's no. teenagers and young adult males. Well, you do see some kids because obviously Brett gives his sunglasses to quite a young chap. But chap. they're no longer the ones that are making the majority of the front rows anymore. You know what no, I mean? No, no, I do get what you mean. Yeah. And again, it was the sign of where wrestling was because the audience, the audience that followed wrestling in the eighties, hmm. were now teens and young adults in the ninety, in the late nineties. And the moment where they pan to Brett's daughter. Uh, in the crowd, she looks a lot more out of place than when they've done the panning to Brett's family in other well, Brett yeah. uh, heart matches. We've both done from the main mounts list and our alternates. Yeah. Uh, well, there it just looked like all the families come along to see a, like, a nice sporting contest, where it's like Jerry Lawler, especially Jerry Lawler's are particularly harsh. Well, that's uh, I want to bring that peaking, up. Uh, in peaking mode, but Jerry's just like just giving her shit for being there, effectively. Well. The most hateful feud that Brett had had before this as a singles wrestler was with Jerry was Lawler. Jerry. Yeah. And Jerry, like Austin, made it personal and would go after the families and would attack him and, and, and verbally abuse him. Uh, but the difference is that Jerry Lawler was the chicken shit heel. He never looked cool. You don't dress up looking like that and you don't have that kind of physique or anything and that singlet and you look cool. He works within the Southern Star Wrestling promotion, regional promotion of Memphis, but to a mainstream audience. So Jerry Lawler was never going to get cheered. But Austin, another Southerner, but he doesn't say, oh, I'm going to beat you. He doesn't have a squeaky voice and then yeah. howl when he's in the match. He says, I'm going to whip your ass. And then he comes into the match and tries to whip his ass and very yeah. often does whip his ass. There's a key a bad bit. Guy. There's a key bit there uh, in the way he words the promo. Um, he never says the word in pre-match. Austin never says, I'm going to win. He says, I'm going to beat your ass. It's almost as if that's more important to him than winning. It's mm. just making an example of Brett. Yeah. Well, he said, like, it's, it's, I, I love their Madison Square Garden match uh, almost. Uh, for the longest time, I said I loved it more than I love this match. But I'll be honest, you know, you just got, again, you've got to take in the historical context and everything. This mm. match is something for the ages, whereas the, the, the Survivor Series match they have is a bit of a hidden gem. And it's the match I always used to bring up to people who said that Austin wasn't actually that good a wrestler. If you watch the Survivor Series match, he has this fantastic fusion of brawling with actual in-ring technical wrestling ability like he out wrestles yeah. brett in that match and that's my favorite version of austin i wish you know if he hadn't had that broken neck the sort of matches he could have had uh in his physical prime which was only like two years earlier when he was actually the champ and everything uh it's, it's sad to think about like the stuff he could have done with like say if they'd have done like a, a few with dr death steve williams he could have done some amazing stuff with him Oh, God, that could have um, been a very hard hitting. Yeah. Well, but then within the limitations of what Austin could do when he comes back in 98, like, Mick Foley's able to bring the best out of him with their over-the-edge uh, false count anywhere match. Mm. But that's, like, covering a lot of Austin's unfortunate physical limitations with all that, you know, they call it gaga and everything. Yeah, but to be fair, if you're going to have anyone to cover your physical limitations by adding, like, hardcore stipulations, you'd want Mick Foley to be the other guy. Yeah, like but, covering you. but this is just two guys and like I said it's also about Bret Hart what I loved about Bret Hart was he always carried that toughness that even though he was a great technical wrestler he could yeah. always throw a punch 
He could always mm. brawl, that he was that rugged individual, you know, he's that sheriff. The sheriff that will follow the law and is try thoughts like he's like John Wayne or Gary Cooper or Seth Bullock in Deadwood is probably an even better example because that's a more nuanced character like Brett becomes in this. Mm. That he will he will fight the brawler and will hit as hard as the brawler will. He will if he has to be dragged down, he'll be dragged down and he'll get the win. Yeah. Take. I think it speaks more to Brett's sort of family roots in a sense as well, because what you'll see in some American TV shows is just like a very broad stroke camp of characters, like a sub camp of characters is yeah. with jo- high school jocks. You get the rich jocks who obviously have got the time to like, you know, um, work out and have like gyms at home and stuff like that. And then you've got like the poor jocks who, um, maybe like have better raw ability but have to like hone it and do it in like their own family home in like like the basement or something like that and brett always to me comes across as like the the um the poor jock if you see what i mean he's got that natural ability but he's got that chip on his shoulder that there are others in his world the world he's worked very hard to craft create and put himself within um and there are people there he doesn't deem to be as good as him, but they've been afforded the same opportunity due to other reasons. Do you get where I'm coming from there? That's an analogy. I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> what? No, I, I think what it is is like if you look compare this to the Shawn Michaels Mankind match, where Shawn Michaels is out of his element. He looks out of his element and he's trying to survive. Yes. Bret Hart actually looks comfortable within a brawl. He can do it. Oh yeah, no, that's 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 my point. It's not that he's this preem polished guy. Mm. Um, he. He can hang with the preem polished guys, and it's fat better than being like um, than the the preem polished all out technical wrestlers. He grew up. He grew up fighting. Is what yes. you're saying. Whereas Shawn Michaels didn't grow up fighting. Yeah, and that's a reflection of where they are as guys as well. Like Shawn Michaels never claimed to be a tough guy, but I think Brett was always kind of respected backstage of you know someone you wouldn't want to mess with. Although when they did actually have a backstage brawl, apparently it did involve a lot of hair pulling. So. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of it there. So yeah. what you're gonna, you work with the tools you've got. But yeah, it is that sense of it is the sheriff having to deal with the drunken Lee Marvin figure. You know, it's, it's a you know, it's a lot like actually, it's a lot like Ric Flair, Terry Funk as well. The Ric Flair can brawl, and so he has to brawl with the guy who will only brawl. Yeah. So Brett will brawl with the guy who insists on brawling, and he will hit. He will give Austin as much as Austin will give him. They 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 don't hold back. You know, Brett will bring in a ring bell and a chair. Um, mm. And we'll try to pilmanize Stone Cold Steve Austin, just like how Austin. Because that's the thing; like, so much of it is like Austin is getting his just desserts in so many ways. Like they say, he did this to Brian Pillman. Yeah. Um, but so it's turnabout's fair play. It's, it's that weird thing that, like, like I said to me when we did the heel turns episode early on in this run, I argued that it was the crowd that turned heel. Yeah. Not Bret Hart, in my eyes, because like. If you had a moral compass, you'd know that Austin has been in the wrong throughout this whole thing. He cost he cost Bret Hart the Royal Rumble. He cost Bret Hart the title after Bret won it fairly in the four man battle royal at the final four. It, whenever the whenever the odds were even, Bret would come out victorious, but Austin would sneak in and try and make you know the next night Austin hits uh, Bret with the chair and yeah. costs him the title. And then, you know, the Raw before this one, which is one of the best angles ever, after Brett loses the steel cage match to Sid, 
where it has The Undertaker helping his opponent at WrestleMania and Austin helping Brett because whoever won the match would then wrestle for the title at yeah. WrestleMania. And it's the one point where Brett's actual arrogance is his undoing, but I don't know if that was because of um, Undertaker's poor timing, that he's about to leave the cage through the door and Undertaker's not quite there, I think, so Brett has to raise his arms in, in victory before he leaves. And then the Undertaker's there to slam the door in him, and then Sid's able to win. But it, but also, and then, it's, and then they have the post-match angle where Bret Hart says that you know this is this bullshit. is bullshit, and it's the sign of like, okay, this is not you know, this is not Hulk Hogan saying eat your eat your vitamins and say your. I was about to say eat your prayers and say your vitamins, but you know, um, this is like things are different now. Yes, Bret, Bret Hart, this previously virtuous, good person, had been corrupted, but also the whole show was corrupt at this point. Mm. And Bret Hart doesn't recognise what this world is anymore, and, he's and therefore is into changing something, changing into something different. Mm. Um, and you see that sometimes in society, uh, where people get old and moan about things. Yeah, well, get old, <laughs> get old, and get themselves into trouble. Um, by saying things or like going on viewpoints where society no longer holds that viewpoint or no longer views things through that lens. But that's like, that's like, um, but this is almost the opposite of that insofar as now it's anything goes. Yeah. Whereas before it was about quote unquote civility. Mm. Whereas now it's about saying shit that you shouldn't say. Now it's, then it's like, oh, say whatever you want. Yeah. Do you get where I'm coming from? I do. Yeah. But it's always that sense of the previous generation thinks that this generation's screwing things up. Oh, yeah. Um, which is nonsense. It's always going to be the way. I hope I don't be like that. I hope when I get old, I don't say it was better back in my day and all that nonsense. <laughs> I really do hope that. Depends on whether or not it is. You I mean, you have to look objectively. Yeah, it's, all about, it's all about your own life, I think, with those things. I think most people are actually complaining when they're saying, oh, society's not what it used to be. It's just them saying, my knees aren't what they used to be. <laughs> they, you know, do you know where I'm coming You get where I'm coming from? Because it, it can't be constantly getting worse, which is what every no. generation seems to think. No, no, it can't be. I, I, I do get where you're coming from there. This has got very philosophical for her. Well, I think it's us. because this whole thing's about a philosophical shift. Yeah. In the WWE, in wrestling in general. Um, because it's also funny because it's like, everyone says, oh, this is the moment. But it's like, for the next year still, WWF would lose to WCW in the ratings every week. Mm. The, the audience is building, but it's not all there immediately after this one. Like, if you watch Austin, it's always weird to watch Austin in the in the match in the months subsequent to this, where they say it's the big double turn. But when he wrestles against The Undertaker, a, a cold day in hell, he is the heel. When he wrestles against Shawn Michaels at King of the Ring 97, he's basically still the heel. Yeah. Um, and But they do add nuance to his character that he does end up stopping cheating. Because he still yeah. cheats against The Undertaker. He still cheats against Shawn Michaels. By the time in 98, he doesn't have to cheat because he's the biggest badass around. Yeah. And he's just brawling with someone. And it's like, you know, it's no holds barred in all of his matches anyway, really. Um, but like I said, like they brawl in the crowd. But then when it comes to the 98 period, usually it's more they're brawling around the set. Yes. The entranceway, which I miss now that they don't build those unique entranceways anymore. Yeah, usually we're like a... Um junked out car or something that was, like that, that. Was for the, that was for the dude love uh match but like a backlash they'd have like those swinging pen pendulum girders and all that sort of stuff oh yeah 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 um 
Yeah, there's yeah, and Austin just uh, and then Austin becoming the blue collar working man who can work any piece of equipment. That's not really what he's meant to be at this point. At this point, he's just like the coolest, baddest brawler on the planet. And it's only really later on that he becomes like blue collar embodiment, the the ubermensch of the blue collar man. Simon. Oh shit. <laughs> Uh, no, I get what you were saying there. He's um, he's very much. Ah, oh, he is he is that embodiment. You're right. He's he just represents raw aggression, which I think there was a fair bit of in society because society were angry. Was it was when new of, metal was huge. I think they were just sick of what they were being presented before. Because mm. if you look at a lot of, well, early, I think, I think I think a lot of that is down to Bill Clinton and that sense that the people in the highest levels are corrupt. So why should we not be corrupt? Yeah, like that. Th- there doesn't seem to be like the same rule book for everyone. And so also, there's a complacency like... within America at that point on a, on a foreign policy front because there is no Russia, and it's pre nine eleven. So there's no external enemy. They have to mm. go insular. So that's when the war on drugs happens. That's when it becomes about a war on crime and uh, draconian measures are taken, like the whole three strikes and you're out situation. Yeah. Um, and then it's just that case of like society's becoming decadent because we don't have anyone to, to define our ideology against anymore. There's yeah, no commie. There's no commie threats. Yeah, know? we don't really have to do anything really like we, we just we haven't got a like a big bad like look West, at the people yeah, that are going again society is one it's the end of history was being argued at that point that's true um so yeah, it's like yeah. the last days of rome scenario yeah and like you look at the people they're fighting it's either um milosevic or out in somalia although the somalian one didn't go brilliantly but it's it's a vastly inferior opponent on paper yeah yeah, it's the Gulf War with Saddam. You know, that was yeah. the last one they were able to do. And then when the WWE is looking for a foreign menace in the mid-90s, it has to be the Japanese because of their industrial complex. Yeah. Out- outgrowing Americas, that was the fear at the time. And then it was the Finns because they don't like the environment. <laughs> because we're, we're, we're messing with the environment, but climate change wasn't yet like a perceived as an overwhelming fact yet. Yeah. That's yeah. still very his infancy. Wasn't but we it? should talk about the match as well. Like what what it is, it's just a great brawl. And also, like I said, everyone gets heel, both get face spots, both get heel spots. Austin selling when they have like the punch up, he'll still sort of do the wild flailing on yeah. the heel, really. Um, but then when he um, when he is bloodied towards the end of the match, he does wonderful wounded animal selling at that point, mm. and and that elicits sim- so he gets sympathy in the second half of the match. Uh, whereas it's Brett sort of getting sympathy in the first half of the match uh, because Austin's like being ruthless and dragging him down and brawling outside the ring. And Austin does a little... I thought it was funny that Austin did a little humorous bit with the uh, concessions guy. <laughs> takes a drink from him and then tries to take like his like plaque, his whole tray to hit Brett with him. Like it takes too long so Brett just hits him. Yeah. Uh, it's... I, oh, I do love the Austin humor. It's mm. just peppered him, but on the main, um, the main like sort of feature of this match is the blood in a way because it's so out of the ordinary compared to what WWE were doing at the time. They had to specifically campaign to Vince to get blood in this match. Um, well, you know, no pun intended, but it sort of opens the floodgates after this. <laughs> do you think without the blood, no, this match is viewed in a different light? 
it wouldn't be seen in the same light. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have that iconic image of Brett of, of Austin with his face caked in blood. Because the whole thing about it is that Austin's the, 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 the spirit is still willing but the but the body is weak. Yeah. And that's so best exemplified by blood loss. Yeah, the no life force the life force is draining out of him whereas he still wants to fight. Like it's it's when he's in that sharpshooter at the end, he literally powers out of it. He doesn't reverse it. He doesn't mm. reach the ropes. He powers out of it. <clears throat> he almost but, powers out of it. Yeah, but Brett Brett still holds on. He holds on to it, and that's the last of Austin's energy at yeah. that point. And that's the thing. It's like Brett doesn't get the victory he wanted. That he wanted Austin to give up because the whole thing had been that Austin never gave up going after Brett. Yeah. And Brett thought, well, if I can shut him up this one last time, then maybe I can get on with what is important to me which is winning back the world title yeah which has plagued me during all this time and austin just will never stop and also if i beat this like upstart maybe like life changes and it goes back to what it was before yeah whether or not obviously that's like well well thought thinking from a storyline point of view um it's what he would have felt a part of him storyline wise would have felt that but he doesn't get that victory he gets the decision but he doesn't get the victory yeah, he doesn't humble Austin. Austin just stops being conscious. But the Austin, the next day will be no different to the Austin from this day. Yeah. Whereas Bret Hart in the next day is a changed man. Mm. And you've seen that change throughout the match. Like, there's a bit where he gets him in the ring post figure four, which the crowd cheers. That's the thing. Bret has a large portion of the crowd on his side right up to the end. When the bell rings, there is a cheer. It's overwhelmed yeah. by booze pretty uh, pretty soon, and then when he attacks Austin post match, because like I said, he hasn't got satisfaction. Yeah, and then and Ken Shamrock gut wrenches him. That or moment where him, sorry, yeah, he waist locks him and absolutely dumps him the other side of the ring, and he gets up. And Shamrock with his like hands up, he's like he's ready to go. And, and Brett's face of just utter shock and affront, but also knowing. Uh, Probably best not to mess with this guy. It's like, yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to win this when I've already been like knackered out. Yeah, but also like, yeah, but it's that, it's that question of is he being a coward or is he thinking it through? Because if mm. Austin had just finished that match and Shamrock wanted to fight, Austin would have fought him. Yeah, but that's not well. Yeah, that's not thinking. It's just Austin's DNA, isn't it? It's like the primal nate, the primal side of Austin mm. is that sometimes he didn't do what people perceive to be the smart thing. But it's, you know what I mean? It's like Bret Hart thinks he's moral. Mm. Thinks he's in the right. And if you look at it just on, on a ground level, he is in the right. And as far as my perception as a fan of his was, he was in the right still. But it's that sense of, like, he, he goes down to Austin's level. Like, he swears during the match. When he gets him with the ring post figure four leg lock and he can't finish him with it, you see him say, son of a bitch. Yeah. And he brings weapons into the match. And he tries to do brutal things to Austin just to hurt him. Yeah. He wouldn't have done it. The only other time he did that was with Jerry Lawler where he had him in the sharpshooter and he held on to it for like four minutes post-match. So it was like, this was in Bret Hart, but the fans never liked Jerry Lawler and it, that was more of a personal family matter, whereas this is Bret's pride that's been hurt. Yeah. Um, well, it's Bret not... Uh, Bret's also like from a um, a mindset standpoint, it, it, he's... He doesn't want to change. He doesn't want to swim in like this, like 
shots. Everyone screws each other. I'll scratch your your back. You'll stab mine. World. He doesn't like that world. Um, and when people are surrounded by the thing that they hate, it makes them more spiteful. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He like he resents people and he blames other people. And he thinks he's morally... He's like, okay, I'll cheat, but I'm still morally right. Whereas Austin's yeah. like, I'll cheat and I don't care about morals. Yeah. It's better to I, be I, a... It's, it's like a moral man becoming immoral as opposed to an amoral man remaining amoral. Yes. No, I completely agree with that. <sighs> it's weird... Think? What do you think of the commentary? The commentary is really all over Brett during the whole thing. Well, one of the men is Jerry Lawler, so... Well, yeah, but, yeah, that's from... Larry Lawler never stopped hating Brett. Like, yeah. You know. I mean, Although, the bit where like, in 97, uh, when, when he does the reunion with Owen and Davey, the next night, Jerry breaks down in tears and finally... Well, I guess it's like how Owen finally accepts Brett. You know, Jerry Lawler sort of accepts Brett in that moment. The, um... The bit... I, again, I've, I've already alluded to it, but the bit where um, Brett's daughter's on uh, on the telly and uh, Jerry Lawler says, oh, thank God she's covering her face. It's like, Jesus, Jerry. <laughs> no, but I'm talking more about Vince and JR. Like, JR's like, Austin never gave up. Austin never gave up. Yeah. One of them just goes, Austin is a stud. Yeah. And Vince is like, well, the previous week when he hits, you know, he just hit Hall of Famer Pat Patterson, that no good running son of a bitch. <laughs> Vince does love Pat. And to be fair, Vince had been pushed over by Brett on the well, yeah. They They continued to hate each other, you know, and it's <clears> like, uh, and that was the first time as well that it's really alluding to Vince being the guy in charge of it all. You know, they're, they're sort of flat out saying it now at this point. Yeah. Um, which still came as a shock to me when I finally got to watch it like regularly because I wasn't getting like when I read the magazines and that, I wasn't really hearing that much about how Vince was involved in it and then I remember just seeing owner of the World Wrestling Federation I was like he is <laughs> <laughs> okay um, but yeah just uh, that, like I said Austin becomes the wounded animal when he bleeds and which Brett claimed was the first time that Austin had bled which. We know is not. We knows not true. Yeah. I don't know if it's a case of Austin never cut. I, d- I don't know what that was about, but you know, you know, memories are what they are. Yeah. Uh, I remember. I remember listening to Austin do a commentary of the match on his podcast. Yes. Um, and I think he basically said it without saying it that I have bled before, but I know Brett said that, and I'm yeah. not going to say Brett's a liar. I think they did a joint one. Um, for the Edge and Christian podcast as well, if memory serves me correctly. Did they? Oh, okay. I might have yeah. Because I know Shaw, didn't Shawn Michaels do one with Mankind about mind games? I know they talked about the match. They may not have watched yeah. it. Yeah, well, that's also on the Edge and Christian uh, podcast where they both do, where Shawn and Mankind talk about mind games. Yeah, I know I listened to that, but I just can't recall that it being like a direct commentary, like alternate DVD commentary thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, like, uh, and also it's... I think one of the things you always get is that Brett's got that brain because when Brett finds that way to win, that way to victory, like Austin's choking him out with the cords, but mm. Brett has the ring bell again, like Chekhov's gun with the the table introduced. Like the ring bell is brought into the ring about halfway into the match, but doesn't become a factor until Brett needed a way to escape. Yeah, being choked out by the cables, and it shows like Brett's ring presence of remembering. Oh, that's there. I'll use this mm. that he brought in as well. Yeah, you don't see him like look down for it, really. Like he's he's trying to grab, and then like 
out of nowhere, one of his arms reached and he knows it's there. Mm. I always but, thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, it was always that sense of Austin was out of his element in this match. He would do some submission holds and the crowd would cheer. Like, he got him in a Boston Crab. He got him in a, not a bow and arrow submission, but he got him in an interesting sort of hold early The on. arm, yeah, no, neck the arm combo neck thing. thing. Yeah. Um, sort of like a, a reverse Koji clutch. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just, I think we've kind of gone all over the place with it, but it's... Well, I, I think we I think can people, afford to... People are so aware of it. People yeah. Know, it, like, you may not have watched that Michinoku Pro Wrestling 10-man tag if you're listening to this podcast, but there's a decent chance you'll have watched Austin v. Brett. Yes. <sighs> but I think if you were to look at one of the most important matches culturally, historically for wrestling... Mm. I think you've got to say, like, Hulk Hogan, Iron Sheik, uh, maybe Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, I'm not sure. Um, Hulk um, Hogan being the third man. I know that's, like, more yeah, of an yeah. end of a match than a match, but... Because yeah. when you said earlier, this is the most culturally important match yeah. of the last 25 years, Yeah, maybe. That, is, that is possibly the only challenger I had to that was yeah. Hulk turning heel. But I think I'll be uh, that's over th- 25 years at this point, isn't it? No, no, it's 23. Um, yeah, no, Hulk, it was at Bash of the Beach. It was ninety-six. Yeah, Hulk ninety-six. Six. Hulk and well, this is beyond twenty-five years. We're just in the whole modern day. If you if you say the modern day context from like eighty-four onwards, yeah, where the WWF becomes. Oh, well, you've got loads. Then it's it's a lot. Then you got Hogan, Andre. You know, you got Austin Rock, uh, Austin Michaels with Mike Tyson, Undertaker, Mankind, Hogan um, Rock. But this would stand up with any of them for yes. the long-term effects. Like I said. The, the business doesn't turn around immediately after this. No. But it's the sign of Bret Hart is no longer for this world, uh, but Stone Cold is. Yeah. Even though the victory comes in defeat. But it's, the, it's, it's, it's really well balanced. Like, if you got... If you didn't execute this perfectly, it could have had a really bad impact on both men. But they were telling such a good story from the start, it would be hard for them to screw it up. Yeah. And these guys are kind of incapable of having a bad match with each other. Mm. Or really having a bad match full stop for the most part at this time. But obviously they've, it's got, all... they've both got such great wrestling brains as well. You can tell that they're two of the yeah. smartest obviously, wrestlers in wrestling. It's in terms of, You can be a great wrestler, but if the production team and the writing's not helping you yeah but there was no writing at that point. i know There's, and the well, production team was less self-involved at this yeah point. there was still you know it's not the obnoxious quick cuts and zooms and shaky cam and all that shit they're just documenting a wrestling show really well mm. and that was still what they were doing at this point yeah i and i think that's great i think that's why it works because they're not mm. it's a conscious decision to let it breathe you know well, as I expected, this is probably the longest episode we've done for an individual match, and I guess it would be a sacrilege if I didn't give it five stars, given how much time and effort we've gone into talking about it. Simon, where do you stand? <laughs> I like that, just because you talked about it a lot. Well, you were always get, I think you were always going to give it five stars, um, as am I. I also yeah. give this five stars. Yeah, I think like as a wild brawl, it definitely beats... like um, it's, it's the next step up from what uh, Funk and Flair were doing. In um, uh, 1989. Mm. Um, 
It was. It, it took those chaos of those brawls that you saw, and like you know, Jim Cornette said this was as close as it WWF came to being like a Southern States wrestling uh, match. Yes, I think it's, I think it's Jim Cornette's favorite ever WWF match that he's ever seen or been a part like, as a part of the company. Obviously, he wasn't a part of the match, but yeah, it's um, I just, it's just you, we talk about it. We've talked about so many different little aspects of this. But it really is the incubator that set off the path to Montreal and therefore the path to Mr. McMahon and mm. um, Austin being the perfect foil for him. This is the first domino. I don't know if it's the first domino, but it's one of the key dominoes. Yeah. The biggest domino, although it's oh, yeah. usually of the same size. But, you know, to mix metaphors there. It's, there it's... Look, everything can be sourced back to like the first ever wrestling match if you want to keep going that far back. Or like every historical... You know, every every historical conflict in in the world can basically be traced back to Britain at some point. But, <laughs> you know... Um, but yeah, this is the... Well, thank you for listening to this long one. You know, about twice as long as the match itself. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, they pack it in. I mean, you don't feel... There's not a moment... There's not a wasted moment in that match as well. Everything's... Like, there's no slowing down. It keeps the intensity and the... And the... You know, you can't take your eyes off it. You might... Your, your ears and mind may have been diverted at some points in this match... In this uh, match analysis. I'm not going to say it will definitely have happened when Simon started making up rich and poor jocks but that would have been <laughs> i didn't make them up i stand by yeah. that uh, okay um but if people want to get in touch with you and talk about other analogies and metaphors they may have dreamt up in the middle of the night what can they do simon uh people can get in touch with me on twitter where i'm so known as simon cross free uh free for the uh the number of times in the road brett did that butt drop um knee breaker thing um, before missing and getting hit with the stunner. I think it's free. I'm standing by that. Oh, yeah, that was good as well. The stunner, it was all still early doors that it wasn't the kick setter. And the yeah. stunner was like a desperation move at that point. Yeah. He's literally clutching at straws. Yeah. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Austin, N for No Holds Barred. That's my email address if you put an at gmail.com at the end of it. And if you don't put an at gmail.com at the end of it, but search for Lorcan Mullen on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, you should find me and you should follow me. And you should get a copy of my book, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan, if you can, on your ebook reader on your phone or your e- actual ebook. But anyway, we're going to the world of New Japan for our next match. One of the first times in a long time that we've done that. As it's the final of the 1997 Best of the Super Juniors tournament. And Koji Kanemoto makes his one and only appearance on this list, I believe. And he faces off against a man who has returned, who has been on previously. But neither of us, particularly Simon, had that many nice things to say about that match. No, it's yeah. El Samurai. Has Simon changed his feelings on that <laughs> in junior heavyweight wrestling in general? You'll have to wait and find out. But anyway, until then, there's nothing left to say other than my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. Your phone call took me by surprise Gee, it's been a long, long time since those hot and humid Texas nights We went swimming in the tide 
Corpus Christi seems so far away And I'm not talking about the miles There ain't much I wouldn't give today Just to see one of your smiles But I'm stuck here in Denver Sipping California wine And I've got all night to remember you I'm in a lone star state of mind I just saw John Wayne